Are you guys excited? Isn't God good? You know, this little book here is a personal letter to you. If this book contains 66 books in the Bible, written over thousands of years, is written to you. When you read this word, you have to read it as though it's a personal note to you. If you don't believe that, you are missing out on a lot of God's life he has for you. If you want to experience the fullness of what God has for you, if you want power over things that are binding you up right now on the inside, some of you struggle with fear and anxiety inside, some of you, like we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, being under gunpoint, figuratively, where the enemy has you under gunpoint, where you're struggling just to be in crowds of people. You struggle with fear and anxiety and stress. I'm telling you, if you will change your heart and mind and click it over to believe that when, this, when you read this word, it is not a book. It's not a story. It is God-spoken word. It is life. It is oxygen to you. It is very, the very nutrients you need as a spiritual being is found in here. And until you can believe that, because you have the choice whether you believe this is God's word or not. We could get into debates about how it was put together. We can get into debates about um, whether it's God's word or not spoken, who wrote it, men wrote it, inspired by the Spirit. We can get into all that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you have to choose in your heart by faith that God spoke to you through his word. You believe that. And I will tell you right now, my biggest, the biggest thing I can believe is not all the, um, all the history and all the facts that surround the Word of God. You know what the biggest thing to me about the Word of God is that it actually works today. Because it could be true or not true, but if it didn't work, it wouldn't matter. Right? I mean, you could prove it right or wrong, but in the end, if the Word didn't work, and when you spoke it and, and tried its precepts and principles and it didn't work, then what would it matter anyway? The proof, the sustenance, the, 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 the evidence of God's word is in your life today. It's either working or not. And I guarantee you 100%, you heard Darlene's story, you heard my story last week, and that's just with a small part of God about supplying all your needs, that God's word comes through all the time. The prophet Isaiah spoke this, he said, God's word <coughs> will never return void. God's word, when spoken out, will always come back and fulfill what it said. It'll never fall short. It'll always do what it said it would do. And today, church, you need to believe that and know that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help me in Jesus' name. If you don't show up and assist me, God, I will fall flat on my face I will not be able to communicate your words today. So, Lord, I'm asking for your anointing of the Holy Spirit on these words because they're not mine, God, they're yours. And I pray that the hearts and the ears and the spirits would be open to hear your word and that you would penetrate hardened hearts, you would penetrate lost hearts, and you would penetrate those hearts that cannot see and that are spiritually blind. I pray in the name of Jesus that your word would go forth in power, and we believe that because Jesus live the perfect life in my place so I can have boldness when I come to you, God, because of what Jesus did. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well...
Did you guys have a good week? Yeah. yeah. How's yours? My, my week? Well, it sucked, kind of. <laughs> that was a tough week. You ever have those weeks where Murphy's Law happens all week long? Man, it's been a... Yeah, I know, right? Satan, Murphy, Satan, whatever. <laughs> but so a tough week, but you know, God's faithful. And what matters at the end of the day is this. God told me to come to Rivers Church a couple months ago, and he said, preach the word and love people. Amen? Amen. Pretty simple, right? So I'm going to try and love you the best I can, and I'll get a little snotty every now and then, like I kind of do with Mark. Never with Kelly, though, because she's mean. Just kidding. But God is faithful. So, hey, let's get into the Word. So, I want to talk today about the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. But before I get into there, I want to review, because some of us have been here throughout the weeks, but I'm going to do a quick review. And on your notes, if you want to write in your notes, <coughs> you're welcome to do that. But we're going to review a little bit of where we've been. See, we need to, we've been on a journey to help us discover what's true about our destinies. We've been talking about fighting for in the spiritual realm, for what is really ours through Jesus Christ, right? Amen? We're talking about, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. That means fullness, completeness. He's come to give you life, not just temporal, but eternal life. And not just living forever life, but his very life living in you. That is the hope. That's what we celebrate. Emmanuel with us. The whole Christmas theme is God with us. Not just God coming down the earth, but God by his spirit living in us and empowering us to be his light, his love, his hands, and his feet on this world. Amen? Are you with me? So that's good stuff. So we've been learning how do we take this back? How do we fight and experience this abundant life? How do we walk in the power of God? And how do we do that? So we've, we've gone on a journey, and we've looked about how we can fight the enemy. So in order to fight, though, you need to know some stuff about the enemy, right? So we talked about warfare. <laughs> we talked about the fact that we were in a war. And number one, our number, the first thing we talked about was that there was a cosmic battle going on for your soul. Remember that? We talked about your eternal soul and your temporal soul. There's a battle, the enemy, and there's God. And he's fighting for you, and you have the free will today, right now, to choose him or not choose him. <coughs> Excuse me, God gave you the most powerful thing in this universe, which was your free will. And you have the choice to choose to follow him or choose to not follow him. So there's this huge battle for you, and it's dependent upon you recognizing who Christ is. The next week, we got more into looking at the enemy and that the fact that he was out to do one thing, kill, well, three, <laughs> kill, steal, and destroy He's coming to, but Jesus said, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. So the point that Jesus came to earth was to destroy what Satan had put in plan for us. Amen. You don't have a choice, guys. You're in a battle whether you like it or not. You can choose to stick your head in the sand and ignore it. You can choose to li live under the, the, the darkness and all the junk that you're allowing in your life. Or you can stand up and fight. So we looked at that, that the enemy was coming to kill, steal, and destroy. But we are in a fight and we're in a battle whether we like it or not. So my suggestion to you was choose life and get your, get your, fighting, get your fights on. Okay, number three, we looked at the next week we looked into, we discovered that the enemy doesn't fight like you thought. Pun intended. He doesn't fight like you thought he did because it's in the mind that the battlefield rages. 
<laughs> we think he fights a different way, but he fights here. If he can win here, he wins here. And then if he wins here, he starts winning here. Are you with me? He tempts you into coming into an agreement with his philosophy, with his lies, with his precepts and principles. The enemy's trying to lure you into believing a lie because what you believe in your heart, is gonna, you're going to live that out eventually. Because Jesus said, whatever's down here is going to come out and be in the physical world too. Remember we said this, if the devil can get you to think wrong, he can get you to act wrong. So the battlefield isn't where we, it's, the battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual battle, and it starts here in the mind, the battlefield of the mind, and we have to believe God's truth, and when we get that truth in our heart, we start acting like God. Because the converse is true. If God can get you to think like he thinks, he can start getting you to act like he acts. So are you producing God in you, or are you producing hell in you? Does your life produce love and peace and joy in other people's lives? Are people coming closer to God and being healed and being drawn to God through your lifestyle? Are they? That's a question for you to think about because you're either producing the life of God or the life of the kingdom of hell. There is no neutral ground in a battle, guys. You're either on one side or the other. There's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. There's no, well, I'm, I'm going to sit this fight out. You're in it. You've got to decide what side you're on. Because the time's coming where you're going to have to choose. And Jesus said, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before God. You have to get your heart ready to stand. And I want to help you and equip you to be ready to make a stand when that time comes. But you've got to make that choice yourself. These lies that we believe pile up over time and gain strength, and we looked and discovered how that becomes a stronghold. We looked at what is a spiritual stronghold in the Bible. It's a bunch of lies and agreements that we've come into with hell. We believe them in our, in our mind, so it's dug down in our hearts, and we're believing a lie, and because we believe a lie, we manifest darkness. We manifest pain, sickness, disease. All this stuff we manifest because our hearts aren't in alignment with God. Then we realize, because these lies are so subtle, that we need to stay alert and watchful. Remember, we talked about the enemy can only bring into your life what you allow him to do. Are you with me? You staying watchful, alert, on the watch, because the enemy's going to come. The day's coming of evil. Not just the day in the future, but tomorrow. Today, when you get out of here and go home, it's the day. There's evil waiting at the door to tempt you, to lure you into uh, the kingdom of darkness. But you, but you have the power, guys. The enemy doesn't have this. A lot of Christians think that the enemy can do whatever he wants when he wants. That is a lie. The enemy can only do, his only power is to deceive and trick you and get you to come into agreement. That's all. He can't do anything until you allow that. Are you with me? So he's not, he doesn't have all this great power. He doesn't have great power. He was stripped of all power, church. The Bible declares that in the heavenlies, Jesus made an open public spectacle of the devil and his angels by stripping them naked. The Bible says that. Strip them clean. Just like in Roman time when they would conquer an area, they would get the leadership of the conquered enemy, strip them down, and they would walk through shamed, literally naked, in front of the captors to show that they had been defeated. 
And that's what Jesus did on Easter, guys. Resurrection Day. He went down to hell, kicked butt, took names, and made them walk through the heavenlies ashamed and naked. So don't you think for a second, oh, the devil's too strong for me. Oh, temptation's too big. Oh, sin's too this, too that. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And you've got to start believing God's word for what it is, the truth, the power of God into salvation. God's word is power, and it can help you be saved. Remember, he is walking around your hedge day and night. Remember that? We talked about Job, where Satan talked, uh, walked around Job, and he was looking for a way into Job's life. Great teaching. If you missed that, you need to go online and listen to it. But the enemy is looking at you to try and deceive you every day, every night. Look at what Revelations 12.10 says. It says this, Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them, that's Satan, who accuses them, them, us, before our God day and night. There's no rest. The enemy is prowling. You can't take vacations spiritually. You take a vacation, you open yourself up to pain and misery. Because the enemy is looking day and night to take you out. So protect the hedge at all costs. Remember the hedge around our life. Every one of you has a hedge, but some of you have open, gaping holes in the hedge where the enemy can just prance right in because of your disobedience or your disbelief or your fear or your whatever. You open up the enemy to come into your life and, and wreak havoc because you leave your hedge unmanicured, undone. So we talked about the hedge. Then, last week, we, or week before last, we looked at and observed the healthy pattern of the church. Remember, we looked at Jesus, we looked at the disciples, we looked at the first and second century church, that this type of spiritual warfare was common. We looked at the fact that Jesus cast out devils, commanded sickness to leave, healed the sick, did all that. Then he sent out his seven, uh, the 12. Then he sent out the 72, and they did the same thing. And then in Acts, the book of Acts, we look how they did the same thing what Jesus told them to do then. And then in the first and second century church, they did the same thing Jesus said. So this is a common thing in the Bible to fight spiritually. But through the dark ages, the, from, you know, 500s to the 1500s until we started coming out of the Reformation, that dark ages was a time where the light, it was called dark because God's word, the light, was dimmed down, and people didn't understand, they didn't know, and they started, that teaching started filtering out of the church. They lost the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They lost all this stuff slowly over time, and now it's being built back up. But the point being is that the pattern was there, and that's the pattern we should be following. We don't follow the patterns of what's going on now. We follow the patterns of where, the way God set it up, right? And so we learn that that's a normal thing, and it's okay to think that and do that and have that in your life. Amen? Because a lot of people think that the spiritual warfare stuff is kind of hokey or movie or Hollywood or something. No, this is more real than the chair you're sitting in. It is a stronger, bigger, more, more reality than what you see in this room. Because the reality of the spirit realm is bigger. This, all this stuff you see, including your body, is going to be gone one day. It's going to burn up. This whole world's being recreated, guys. So don't get comfortable here. Don't get comfortable in this thing. We are sojourners. That means we are moving on. If all your, all your thoughts and minds and things are in, involved in this little world and your short little life, you are missing the point. Eternal life is the point. What's going to happen after that? Remember, we talked about this being a stage, a practice for what's really coming. 
which is all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign with him. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm training for. So the question is, how do we win these battles? We talked about the battles. We learned our enemy a little bit. We talked about how things are made up, so we understand a little of the principles of it. But how do we actually win these battles? What's the theory? Well, Paul gives us some clues on that in uh, Ephesians 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to be in there a little bit today. But I want to I tell you that, has anyone ever played cards with anybody? Anyone play card games? Anybody? Yeah, raise your hand. Okay. Has anyone ever, especially around the holidays, I don't know why, been playing cards with somebody, and they changed the rules right in the middle of the game? Anyone ever do that? That whole row does right there. Yep, that's confession. No, this, not this. When you're pointing, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So the rules being changed. Uh, how about monopolies? Everyone play Monopoly, and no one really knows the real rules, and you're like, wait, you can't buy those hotels, and you can't do all this in the bank. You can't borrow. And they, there's so many rules. So over time, you realize that, man, people can just do it. There's, there's like these unwritten rule rules. There's like these ways you can win at something, but it's not always the, the printed rule set. You got to know the kind of side rules. It's not like it's illegal, but because you can, oh, my family plays this card game this way. Okay, so you're changing the rules. No, it's just how we play it. So we got to learn how we fight spiritually in the same way. We've got to find the cheat sheet. We've got to recognize any computer guy's cheat codes. You find the codes, and you can put the codes in the game, and then all, you, all the weapons of, my kids used to do this back when uh, Xbox first came out. Dad, we need to let, download the cheat codes. What do the cheat codes do, son? Oh, it just unlocks everything, and you have every weapon right away in the beginning. Well, how's that fair? I don't care about fair. I want to win, you know? <laughs> they don't care about that. They want every, aren't you supposed to earn that? No, they just entitlement. They just want to give it to me all now. The millennial generation. No, I'm kidding. Oh, go there. So these cheat codes. <laughs> so you need to know the tactics of the game. And it's funny that I'm teaching on this this week because I just played laser tag. And it's funny, this whole rose here, because a lot of us played laser tag. And there was a lot of these kind of cheat things going on, especially, oh, what was he wearing, a white shirt? Oh, no, that's today he's wearing a white shirt. So if you don't know these little tricks, so in laser tag and Rosa would play laser tag, and so you, you get these rules beforehand. So there's, it's just not about shooting each other. You got to shoot the other person's flag thing, and then there's times where your vest changes and you can shoot really fast. There's times where your vest changes, and when people shoot you, it counts for points for you. And so if they're shooting you, they're, you're, you're not getting points. They are. It's weird. So there's all these little rules. And I'm telling you, you know, and then there's guys like, like Mark here that protect the laser parts. You know, they, they hide so that you can't shoot them, right? They, are you guys with me? Come on, you play this. You're hiding so the laser right here and then the shoulders. And you're like shooting like this. You know, well, how does that? So you got you to understand that there's ways around it. And in the spirit realm, there are things that we can know that is not common knowledge that if we learn, we can have that type of advantage against the enemy. Wouldn't that be awesome to learn and to walk in your life knowing and having these tactics so that you could defeat the enemy and live a Christian life that you've always read about but never really walked in? How many times have you read through the Bible or read parts of Acts and you're like, that ain't my life? Man, that would be cool. 
I wish I could do that. But yet the word declares, you, believing Christians, will do greater things than the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) How is that possible? Well, you can learn how by trusting God, but there are these little ways of doing things that are in the Bible, but it's not commonly taught. And if you just read through real quick, you'll miss it. So I want to pull some of that out today. Does that sound good? All right. So Ephesians 6, 10, Paul starts out by saying, finally. So let's stop there. When he says finally, that means whatever came before, we need to understand what was there. So Paul says finally. Paul had just spent five chapters and a half, almost into six, telling us about who we are in Christ. Our possessions in Christ, that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Ephesians was telling us this about who we are in Christ and what we have available to him. Uh, In chapter 1, 2, and 3, he talked about our spiritual position in Christ. He talked to us that, hey, you're seated with God. You're lifted up to heavenly places. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're seated with Christ in God, so you're there with him, experiencing the same righteousness that Jesus himself had. So he's talking about your position. So he's learning, we're learning all these great things that through the cross, what happened to us as Christians. It's amazing. Ephesians is a, a brilliant book. You should be reading through that. It's a great book. It doesn't take you that long. There's only six chapters. Probably take a half hour to read. But read through there and find out your position, possessions in Christ. And then in verse, uh, chapters 4 and 6, he talks about our responsibilities in Christ. So because of who we are in Christ, because of what God's done for us, We should live this way. So be married. Don't have sex outside of the context of marriage. Walk in unity. Don't be at odds. Forgive your brother and sister. Someone sins against you, forgive them. Walking in unity, walking in love. So when Paul says, finally, he says, finally, is referring to his entire letter. And so now he's summing it up, giving us a picture of, Now that you've been taught all what you've been taught in Ephesians, finally, guys, after all that, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Meaning you can't do it on your own strength. You can't do it on your own. You're not strong enough, nor will you ever be. You can try all you want, but you will never reach that perfection. And there's no need to because Christ already did it for you. So finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his power. So Cheat code number one is that it's not your strength that gets it done, it's his strength that gets it done. That you've got to rely on him and not rely on your own will to overcome sin because if you try that, it never works. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Or no, does it say, put on whatever armor is convenient for you or just take the shield today. Can you imagine someone going into a battle Yeah, I I didn't want to put on all this other stuff. I just got my sword. (laughs) Charging, I mean, my kids like Lord of the Rings and all those medieval charging movies where battles, you know, they just run toward each other. Can you imagine someone not fully clothed in their armor, charging into battle with their sword? They, They wouldn't even get to there. Their arrows would get them. They wouldn't even make it. That's why Paul says as he's looking at a Roman guard guarding him in in the prison, he was in prison when he wrote this, and he's looking at this this guard and he's saying, man, look at how they're dressed. This is a relation to the spiritual realm. And man, I can't imagine if he didn't have all this armor, he'd be nothing worthless. 
So Paul's telling us, put on the full armor of God so that you can take up your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, not just tricks, but this word means lying in wait like a trap. This really translates that so you can be aware that the enemy is lying traps for you to walk in. Be careful. You wear your armor so that you are alert and aware of the traps and don't enter into the traps. Right? So he's telling you to put on your full armor, not just to say be fully dressed. But if you're not fully dressed, you will not be able to see the tricks coming. Right? And you'll fall into those traps, those schemes. Verse 12, he says, for our struggle... And this is an interesting word, too. The word struggle there really is better translated to wrestle, but also better translated to throw. Remember how we learned what, um, do you guys remember what ex balo meant? Yeah, to th- well, to throw out, right? And then remember what the word for devil was? Diabolos. Diabolos. Diablos. That's the word for Satan. Dia was what? Right? And bolos was to throw. Remember the thing we got? The bolos is a weapon. Three things you throw through to capture, ill, or injure. So the word, the name for devil actually literally means to throw through to capture, kill, or injure. Right? And that was in the thoughts. We learned how the enemy will throw thoughts through your mind. You'll think you're thinking them, but it's not you all the time. Sometimes you have thoughts that are generated from you, others, God, and the enemy. And a lot of times they're from the enemy, and they'll, they'll personalize it to make you think it's your thoughts. For example, you're getting ready in the mirror, and you, you hear a thought that, I am so ugly. And so that, the enemy is trying to lure you into believing that's true because you said it. Because it said, I am so ugly, so you think you thought that, when in fact the enemy was whispering that into your ear, speaking in first person, I'm so ugly. Trying to lure you to get caught in that snag, the scheme of the enemy, right? If you don't have your, your armor, you're going to walk right into that trap. Yep, I'm ugly. And so you start the belief system. Then you build a stronghold that we saw here on the table of the brick wall. Remember, it started with very basic stuff. And we built the wall higher to more extreme stuff. So this word, balo, this word for struggle has the word balo in it, which means to throw. And it's back about throwing. So it says for your struggle or your battle or your wrestling match, which is going to be about throwing back and forth, this is an intense battle. It's not just a minor struggle or a, a, a tiff or a tap in your day. It's really about a wrestling match. And Paul says for this wrestling match is not against flesh and blood. It's not against you and me, but it's against principalities and powers. Now we go down to verse 13. It says, therefore, put on the whole full armor of God so that when the day, evil day comes, and that's not the day of judgment at the end. That day means the current time. So today, it means the, day, the evil of today comes. You can be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to, to stand, stand. After you've done everything on your own to get ready, stand. It's in his power that you're fighting, but you don't, can't just sit on your butt and expect God to do everything for you. You have to do all you can do to stand. Then once you've done that, make sure you're standing in his might. Amen? You're not going to get spiritually strong by never getting into the word of God. You're not going to get spiritually strong by having no spiritual disciplines of prayer and worship and church. You're not going to get stronger. So after you've done everything to stand, stand strong in the Lord. Now listen to these thoughts on armor. I think I put this in your notes 
to write down. But armor design, think of the armor when we're, we're, we're looking into going into a battle. The armor in this day, in the Roman day, was designed to face your enemy, not retreat. So this, when you were dressed for battle, the backside was very open. Because the concentration was the fact that you're going to be charging your enemy, so the sides and front were the ones heavily guarded with armor. The back was more exposed because the armor is designed to engage and fight your enemy, not turn and run away. Think of that spiritually. God's designed you to be a fighter, not a runner. He's called you to engage in battle, not shy away in fear. He's called you to take on those tough things that your flesh doesn't want to do and fight it and do it and make it happen. He hasn't called you to run and hide. He hasn't called you just to put up with it. He hasn't called you to be a a welcome mat where everyone walks on your face. He's called you to stand up and face your enemy and fight and attack. Because why? You're fighting in the Lord's strength. Are you with me on that one? Okay. So armor was built for attacking, not retreating. The armor was designed for action and not entitlement. The, the, can you imagine someone walking out? So you got belt of truth, your breastplate of righteousness, your helmet of salvation, you got your sword of the spirit, you got your shield of faith, you got your feet shod ready, and almost things on your shins, guards. So you're guarded up, man. You got all this guarding going up. Can you imagine in your sword and your shield that you could actually go like this, your shield, and hide behind? Okay, so you have all that. Can you imagine just going, all right, let's fight. I'm ready. The armor's no good unless you're in an action mode. The armor's designed for you to be in action, shield up, mounted, ready. You know what I'm saying? So it's about action, not about just apathy or entitlement like, well, God, Jesus died on the cross now. I'm just all grace. I'm saved, man. I don't have to do nothing. I'm just, I'm just free in Jesus, man. I don't, I don't need the law no more. You with me? Have you heard any of this? I've heard it. So it's not about that, but armor is designed for action and position, not just having it all. Oh, I got my armor. Okay, God, protect me. I'm in grace. You did it all, Jesus. Let's just do whatever I want. That is not spiritual life. That is spiritual stupidity, and it will get you hurt and killed. The last thing I noticed, too, was all the armor was designed to wear all the time, not intermittently. Never says take off your armor. You've got to wear this. Some people think, okay, this weekend I'm going to the in-laws. Got to put on my armor because, man, it's going to be a tough weekend. These people I'm going to, man, you know, one of them, one of them's gay. And one of them believe, one of them voted for Obama. <laughs> so I got to get my spiritual armor on because it's going to be a tough battle. One of them's, you know, doesn't even believe in God. So I got to get ready. That's not what the armor is about. That's good to have armor when you go in that because you'll say stupid stuff like I kind of just did. So you have to have your armor on all the time because there's not a point where the enemy's not looking around your hedge to get in. And the moment you go, oh, yeah, that was a tough battle. Whew, okay, well, don't need my faith anymore. Let's take off this breastplate of righteousness and let's go do something that's not righteous. Oh, let's take the helmet of salvation on and I'm saved on Sundays, I'll wear that. But now I want to go to the bar with my friends and get drunk, because that's what I like to do. 
So you have the freedom to do that, absolutely. But you don't have the freedom to skip out on the consequences of your actions. So when you, when you plant an orange seed, you get an orange tree. All right, good. So stand firm. So we're going to go over the next several weeks, <coughs> minus probably Christmas, but we're going to start talking about each item. But I wanted to start with the helmet of salvation today because it's so important that we know about salvation, what it means to be saved. But in verse 14 through 16, it talks about all the pieces. We talked about it. Stand firm with the belt of truth. Super important. The first thing you get on, it holds up all your armor. Uh, and the breastplate of righteousness, guarding all your vital organs. Okay, don't take note. We're going to get into this later. Um, with your feet shod with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In addition, take up your shield of faith, um, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, and take up the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the spirit. So I, I wanted to go out of order because... What I find today is a lot of Christians and non-Christians or unbelievers that don't understand what salvation is. And one of the tactics, remember we talked about cheat codes and cheat sheets? One of the tactics you need to be aware of is the enemy's tactic to get you down and out of the game is to question your salvation. Is to question, are you even really saved? Look what you just did. How can you be saved if you just did that? Look at your past. How can, you, how can you be saved? Don't you have to work harder for that? I mean, you got to put in more years of good living to equal out, you know? It's like someone on a diet that gets a Snicker and a Diet Coke. <laughs> They're hoping the two equal themselves. That doesn't work that way. You can't do that spiritually either. You can't say, oh, I'm going to sin a bunch here, and then I'll go, I'll go measure it out and do some good stuff. It's not on a scale of good and bad stuff. So I find that if we learn the cheat codes for this part of our game, which is knowing who you are in Christ, knowing your spiritual makeup, are you saved or not, can actually help us win. It's interesting that it's called the helmet of salvation because that's where the battle is. The battle about unbelief and doubt and fear are fought here first. And a lot of people... Uh, get into unbelief. Oh, I don't know if I'm saved. Was, did it, did, when I prayed that prayer, did it really work? Right? They get into fear. Oh, man, maybe I lost it because I, I just sinned, and I sinned pretty bad. So, man, maybe I was unsaved, and now I have to get resaved. And so I'll come up to the altar again and recommit my life every week. I used to youth pastor in Assemblies of God Church, and we had a, the altar space was just a picture of an altar where you come up and you did business with God, basically. And so every week we would have the same kids coming back, the same adults coming back, repenting and repenting. It's like, that's good, it's okay, but you've got to get to the point where you know you're saved. It's, you don't get unsaved every time you mess up. And so you've got to know, you've got to have this cheat code about being saved and being secure in that. So let's take a few, a few uh, looks at that. So why is the helmet of salvation so important? Because that's where the battle takes place. It protects the real you. Okay, capital Y. The real you is protected up here. So if you're in battle and you get an arrow in the thigh, that would hurt, but you can, oh, you can still function, right? Or, you know, gash, as long as it's not right in the heart, then we'll talk about how important righteousness is and the breastplate of righteousness that God is your righteousness because that can, that can take you out. But what will take you out quicker than anything is a blow to the head or just get your head chopped off, right? Then you're done, right? Nothing else works without this, right? 
<laughs> okay, we all get that. Okay, so this is the real you. This is where the battle takes place. And if you get a blow there in your mind, if you get this wrong or injured here from bad thinking, it'll affect the whole body, right? So if you don't think right here, all this other stuff doesn't even matter. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, then it doesn't matter about the shield of faith or anything else because if you don't know that you're saved and you're not confident in that and you're in doubt and fear and unbelief, well, you might as well not even get dressed because none of that will work. The enemy attacks here first, and he's after one thing. He's after your relationship. He wants to know. He questions this. What is your relationship to the Most High God? The question for you today is, what is your relationship to the Creator God today? What relationship are you in? Who do you belong to? Do you know who you are in Christ? These are the questions at stake here, and this is where the enemy attacks, and this is how we need to know how to fight. If your mind is not thinking right, all, of it, all the rest doesn't really matter. Are you certain that you're saved today? Are you certain that if you were to die on the way home, or you were to drop dead of a heart attack right now, that you would stand before God and enter into, into eternal life with him? If you're confident that's a good place to start and a good place to be, but even if you're confident today, there's going to be times, and you've probably experienced that, where the enemy tries to attack that security that you have in Christ based on circumstances in life and things that happen. So that's why you've got to be alert and watchful and be ready with these kind of cheat codes, knowing that, hey, I've got to be on the watch out because when I have those thoughts of anything about my relationship with Christ, remember when we talked about how we tempted Jesus in the wilderness? What's the first thing the devil said to Jesus? If you're the son of God... The first thing he said, he was questioning his sonship. Come on, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the God-man. He was fully God and fully man. He knew who he was. And Satan still tried to lure him. What does that tell you? It was a real temptation. Else it wouldn't have been a temptation. The Bible wouldn't have said Jesus was tempted if it wasn't tempting for Jesus, even Jesus, to not understand and believe that he was God's son. Think about that. Think about the fact that that was a real temptation that God, Jesus had to be ready for and to believe for, and he had to fight for that because he experienced everything we experience, guys, as, as men and women. Everything we go through, every temptation we go through, Jesus has gone through, but he's gone through it successfully. So Jesus was really tempted. Man, this really sucks. He's about to get crucified. Is it possible that God would give up on me? He had to go through those thoughts. The enemy was trying to lure and suck him into that, that belief system. So it's a real thing. We've got to know who we are in Christ. We've got to be certain that we're saved. Listen to this, and I think I put this in your notes. Doubting your salvation is like taking off your helmet. You're taking your helmet off during a battle. Think of the insanity of walking into a battle and you're running, and they're with spears. Oh, it's kind of hot in here. <sighs> Let me just throw my helmet off. And I'm going to run. You're a goner. You're a goner if you, for one second, take that helmet off. And you can take that helmet off by coming into agreement. And the enemy says, man, you sure blew it today. Man, God, I don't even know if God wants to talk to you. No, you know what? You've got to speak out against the enemy and say, no, you know what? Yeah, I blew it. I confess that sin, and God makes me righteous right now by faith and repentance. 
that easy. Doubt and unbelief opens up a doorway to your heart. When you allow unbelief and doubt, not see, unbelief says that based on circumstances, you're believing something contrary to God's word. So if you're going to believe something that's contrary to God's word, that comes up, and you open up a doorway into your heart to have a stronghold come in and a, a demonic force to have influence in your life. Unbelief is a sin, guys. It is not just some bad thing. It's a sin. Unbelief is a sin. And today, I want you to know without, without a doubt that you're saved. So let's look at that. How are you saved? What, what do you guys say the most, the most famous verse in the Bible is? Okay, that's a good one. What does it say? So for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes, underline that, because that's not all what you think it means. He that believes in him will have eternal life, right? Will not perish, but have eternal life. So check this out. This week as I was kind of meditating, studying this, the word believe, I want to talk about that real quick, because the word believe is, out of all the gospel writers, okay, uh, Matthew used this word believe 10 times. Mark used it 10 times. Luke used it nine times, this word believe, which is a, ver- which is a verb, by the way, action. John, 316, uses this word 99 times. So John's emphasis in the Gospel of John is not that you just believe God, for demons believe in God, and they shudder. But John says, no, you believe and are persuaded by God, and it's an action. It's a continual action. This word believe means it's the beginning start of a forever action. You don't just believe in God in 1986 and got saved, and then you just do whatever you want with your life. You start believing in God at a certain point, and from that point on, you every day get up and you believe in God. You're trusting God every day for salvation. It's a walk of faith. It's not an act of something you do. It's who you become and are. So this word believe is powerful. To be persuaded, to place confidence in, to trust is the meaning of that word. It is through faith, believing what God says is true, that Jesus is the only way. You have to believe that. And that word believe means it causes action. It's not just dormant. If you believe and nothing is produced out of that belief, it's not true belief. Think about that. If I planted an apple apple seed and got oranges... John 14, 6 says this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus, the Son of God's words to you and me in this room. He is saying, I am the only way. There is no other way. There is no other path. That's a common teaching in today, especially like with people like Oprah and other uh, TV people. They, oh, there's many pathways to God. There's many, no, there's not. 
The Bible is clear. There's only one way, and it's through Christ. If you don't come through Christ, you do not come to the Father. You can try another path, but that will get you to a false God. And good luck with that. That is not what the Bible teaches. So Jesus is the only way. And it starts, and it kind of gives us the idea, because if Jesus is the only way and he died for our sins, it answers the question that we've all sinned. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short. We've all screwed up. Everyone in this room, every human is messed up. All of us are unworthy. None of us can earn and earn our right into the kingdom of God. We can't earn our way into a relationship with God. We can't. We've all fallen short. Romans 3.10 says, no, there's none righteous, not, not one. Not one ever from beginning to end. No one righteous. No one lived perfectly. Everyone fell short. That's what sin means. The Greek word for sin is harmatia. It's meaning to fall short of. It's like an arrow, a bow and arrow guy shooting for a target, and harmatia is missing the mark. It's missing your target. We've all missed the target. We've all messed up. We all need a savior. Salvation is not based upon your works. You cannot earn your way into eternal life by doing good. Ephesians 2.8, you've heard this one. For by grace, I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version because it's fun. It says, for it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, or of your own doing, it came not through your own striving, but it is a gift of God. It's by grace, church. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God giving you something you don't deserve. On the other hand, mercy is not giving you something you do deserve. Grace and mercy. God has shown us grace and mercy through his son that we can't strive for it. We can't earn God's love. We can only accept it as a free gift. But that free gift has got to turn into action. Else the receiving part of it wasn't truth. We'll get into that a little bit. You must, it's, it's by grace and works, or by grace not works, but we must um, confess and believe. So how do you get saved? It's simple, guys. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? That's how God made it, super easy. Confession with your mouth, you've got to speak it out, and you've got to believe, oh, same word for believe there. Action, not a one-time, oh, I believe, and then I'm going to do whatever I want. No, I surrender to God, he is now my Lord, I am enslaved to him, I'm in, in a sense, Tied to him now as his servant, right, friend and servant, but spiritually speaking, you become his kingdom person, right? You're his kid. And so you do that by confession and believing. Jesus talked about what we needed to do with his teaching in, in Luke 6. Listen to this. This, this kind of wraps up what we're talking about, this believing. This is in the message, and it's Luke 6, 46. Why are you so polite with me, Jesus says, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. <laughs> These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. 
They are a foundation words, words to build a life on. Guys, too many people today look at salvation and getting saved as an addition to their house. Oh, here, a trophy. I got saved. It's an addition. It's a homeowner. I'm just making my life a little better. I'm adding, you know, we got a new car. We got a new house. We got this. And now I'm going to get saved. It's not a compartmental box that you add to your life. It is life. His words are what you build your life on, not add to. Belief without life change is not belief. If you think you're believing but there is no fruit in your life, I would question your heart on that. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, Jesus saying this to you today, if you love me, you will obey me. Ouch. Wait, so love is equated to Jesus saying, if you love me, if you are in a relationship with me and you love me and you're mine and I'm yours, then you'll, you'll do what my word says. So is it saying that if you don't do what my word says, that you don't love him? So if your life says that you're not obeying God's word, can you honestly say that you love God? I know this is tough, guys, but I want you free. I don't want you in bondage to the lies of the enemy. And you've got to have God's word. God doesn't care about whether how we feel about it. It's his word. And we've got to obey it if we want true life. Matthew 7, 17 says this. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. By their fruits. Do people look at your life? Do they see the fruit and do they know who you are by how you live? What do they see in your life? What is the fruit of your life that the people around you are seeing? Does that tell them that, wow, that per- they're definitely a Christian man because I've never seen anyone live like that? Or do they say, oh, he's part of the world, no different than me? You need to be confident in three areas, guys. You need to know that you're accepted, that you're secure, and that you're significant to God. That's what salvation is. Salvation is about knowing who you are. It's knowing that you're accepted by God. Guys, don't ever wait to get saved until you can fix your life and get yourself in the right place. Because <laughs> it'll never happen. The, one of the lies of the enemy is that uh, people that don't know Jesus haven't committed their lives fully to God yet. The enemy says, oh, just tomorrow. Just do it tomorrow or the next day. Or maybe next summer you'll have, you know, everything will be different. You'll have this new job. You'll have, and you'll, you'll be ready then to get right with God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible declares today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. You are accepted today. God will accept you if you come to him through his son Jesus, confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart. You'll be saved. Then you got to know that you're secure. Once you do that and believe, and you believe Christ, and you enter into that relationship, when you sin and when you fall, you just confess it. God, I messed up, man. Sorry, I blew that. I'm gonna, and boom, He forgives you, and you're right back there. It's not you don't get unsaved, 
Oh, I sinned, so I'm unsaved now. Oh, God, um, sorry for everything. I, I want to get saved again. Okay, yeah, now you're back in. You're saved. The Bible says when you're born again, you're born of God's spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that your spirit and God's spirit become one spirit when you're saved. The Bible also declares that when you're born again, you are born again of an incorruptible seed. Chew on that one. Incorruptible means it cannot corrupt. So if you truly give your life to Christ in all belief, then when you mess up and you're gonna, and it's, it's all right, that's life, you're gonna mess up, but when you do, you're gonna feel a sweet conviction. God's gonna say, yeah, yeah, it's not you anymore. You don't need to do that. There's a better way. Ah, uh, you're right, God, I did screw up. There's so much better. I'm, I'm sorry, God, man, I messed up, and now you start walking the right way. But the whole process of that, you're, you're his son, you're his daughter, the whole time. Remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son took all his dad's wealth, went off, slept with women, did all the bad stuff, Spoiled all his money, came back to the father, and he threw him a party. Why? Because the son never stopped being the son, even when he was in the worst part of his life. Wow. Once you believe, verb, 99 times in John, believe God, you're in. You've got to keep trusting him. And those things will break off. Those sins will, God's not, if, if you could clean yourself up yourself, you wouldn't need God. So quit waiting to get your life together and get, you can't do it, guys. Come to him just as you are. Surrender to him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth, God, I believe that you sent Jesus for me, that he died on the cross for me and was raised up for my eternal life. I believe and I receive it now. If you believe that with faith, you are instantaneously born again, brand new spirit, based off your belief and what you're speaking forth. The last thing you need to know is that you're, well, the first was um, you're accepted, you're, sec you're secure, and you're significant. Everyone in this room has giftings and talents that God's put in you. Everyone is significant to God and has a significant role in his kingdom. No one takes the sidelines. Everyone in this room has a place to play in the kingdom, has a, actually a place in this body of believers to work and to help other people know God and to make this church the body of Christ, not the building, but the church function as we work together. Everybody is significant. Everybody. Sorry. Darlene, would you? So I got a bookmarker here for that I want you to take home. And it talks about who you are in Christ. And it talks about those three areas, that you're accepted, secure, and significant. Guys, we have to fight spiritually knowing the cheat sheet, knowing the cheat codes, so we can know that God loves us, he's not going to forsake us, that we're accepted, we're secure, and we're significant in him. So take this, there's a bunch of scriptures on the back under each one of those headings that I just said. And I want you to meditate on those this week. I want you to meditate on those words. Read the Bible. See what God says about you. God's word, remember what I said in the beginning, is God's word spoken to you. When you read these scriptures, it's put your name in it. He's saying it to you. And I want you to turn on the front as we close, and we're done right now. Sorry, I tried to do this one fast, but I, I thought it was important. So we're closing with this. On the front, see where it says Satan lying God's truth? This is critical, guys, for a foundation of a good warrior. 
The first one says, you are a sinner because you sin. That's Satan's lie. But some of us, <laughs> maybe you're like, oh, crap, I thought that was true, you know? It, it, it's, it's easy to think that. You're a sinner because you sin. But listen to God's truth. God says, once you've accepted Christ now, you are a saint, one declared righteous, who sins. See the difference? So as a saved person, as someone that has given their life and surrendered to God and is born again, you are no longer a sinner because you will sin, you're going to mess up. You're a saint, one that's declared righteous by God, who falls every now and then, right? Look at the next one. Your identity comes from what you've done. Ooh, that sounds kind of true, but that's a lie. God says your identity comes from what God has done for you. So your identity is not based on your actions or your failings in the past. Your identity is based on what God, in his word, says about you. That's who you really are. The third one down, your identity comes from what people say about you. This is a big one, guys, because a lot of us in this room have had parents and friends say wicked, evil word curses over us to make us think that our identity comes from what they say, but that's a lie. God says your identity comes from what God's saying this, what I say about you. Your identity is based upon what God thinks and says about you, not what other people say. And listen to this last one, because this has to do with the belief producing fruit in our life. The lie says your behavior tells you what to believe about yourself. Think about that. So that's the lie. Your behavior tells you what to believe about yourself. Man, I messed up. I did this. Man, I'm a failure. I'm no good. But listen to God's truth. Your belief about yourself determines your behavior. So your behavior will change once you submit to God and what you believe his word for you will change your behavior. But if you keep having your identity based upon what you did and your failings, you're never going to get there. But as you fail and you walk through life, you say, Lord, my identity is not based on that. I'm better than that. God, you have said I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. You said I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. You said, I shall be the head and not the tail. God says great things about you, and if you start believing that, that becomes who you are, and you will walk in that. Amen? Amen. So please take this. Don't just throw this in the dash. Read these through and really grasp hold for you what this means for you. And then on the back, meditate on the scriptures that talk about those three areas, because I want you to be strong in battle. And if you have that helmet on of salvation, you know who you are in Christ, you're going to be strong, and you're going to be able to make all the other armor and weapons better because it's better here, right? And so we'll talk about that other armor, what, what significant that is at a later time. Sound good? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, as we, everyone in here bows their head, closes their eyes, we're just going to focus on you for a few minutes, and we're going to be done, God. But Lord, this is a holy time right now. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you come in this room like you've been here the whole time. I just know I can feel your presence, God. And God, I ask, Lord, that you would just soften our hearts, quicken us, Lord, to see who we really are. Lord, help us to see through your eyes how you look at us. Lord, not based upon what we've done, but, but based upon what Jesus did for us. So when you look at us, God, you actually have this lens called Jesus that you look at us through and 
awesomely, God, you see us as pure and holy, which just means set apart, and righteous, meaning in right standing with you, God. You see us, God, in right standing with you because of Jesus. So, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the power in that. God, we want to live this out and believe it. And with every head bowed and eye closed, if there's anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor Doug, I have, I've never surrendered my life to you. If there's someone here today that would say, yeah, that's me. I haven't surrendered my life. I've believed in God, and I believe that he existed, but I've never really surrendered my life and really took on this new word you're talking about today, which is the verb, the continuous action of believing every day. And you want to do that today. You want to say, yeah, Pastor Doug, I want to I want to commit my life today to Christ. I want to believe, I want to confess his name, and I want to believe because I want this life. I want to know God. I want eternal life. If that's you this morning, would you just lift up your hand, and I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray with you after service, so there's no embarrassment. I'm not going to make you do anything now, but if that's you today, and you want, you've never done that act, and you want to do that this morning, just lift up your hand real quick, and we're going to pray afterwards. Is there anyone here this morning that say, yeah, I haven't done that. I haven't surrendered to Jesus, but I sure do. I want that power. Anyone here, Holy Spirit's working on your heart. You're feeling a kind of a tug in your mind and in your heart that you know you somehow in, inside of you, you know you're supposed to do this, but you're not sure what that means or feels like. But that's the Holy Spirit just giving you encouragement to surrender to God and make it a new day. Don't wait until you get it all together. Today's the day. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to do that? Just going to give a few moments. Your will be done, God, in this place. Anyone at all want to raise their hand? Don't wait. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear rob you from what God has for you today. Anybody here want to surrender to God? Well, Father, you see our hearts, God. You don't look on the outside of people, God. You look on the inside, and you know what's going on. So, Father, we ask for the courage and strength, Lord, this week to live for you, to live knowing who we are, to not be afraid to be children of the Most High God, to walk as though we are king's kids. God, help us. We need you. We want to fight. We want to take all that you've given us, Lord. You said all your promises are yes and amen. And we want to walk in the experience of that abundant life. We want to live what the Bible tells us we can live. So God, we ask for your help. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a great week. Don't forget next week we have missionaries. You are going to, yes, we're, you're going to love these missionaries from um, South Africa. It's going to be a good time. Invite somebody. Next Saturday is the stroll. The stroll. See Kelly for more details. To get involved, we're going to pass out flyers and do a bunch of fun stuff. So God bless. Have a great week.